We went to a place. He took me to this place for coffee. I kid you not. You walk in. It's a coffee bar, a real bar, a restaurant, a bowling alley, and it has a swimming pool. Are you describing heaven? Yeah, I know. It's like, that sounds like... <laughs> That's what I told Wyatt. This is some rich guy's version of heaven, and he, he built this place. Dude, the only thing that is missing is a little Oompa Loompa in the corner making chocolates and inviting me to s- jump into a chocolate river. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I am smooth Justin Pardee. I'm regular old Stephanie Keene. And we are hanging out here with the soulful voice, Pastor Matt Brown. Glad to be here. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Yes. Well, hey, uh, we are continuing our streak of five-star only reviews in mm, iTunes, which good. is great so far. We're up to 122, uh, and um, I'm just praying, man, that we continue on with only five stars, because at some point, somebody's going to come along just to be a stinker and uh, leave us with a number one. But in the meantime, we celebrate, and we thank the Lord for His many blessings. And uh, two of my favorite reviews that came in over this last week, one was from Gigi Quilts, and this is what she says, I hope the debrief continues way past the end of 252. What Whoa. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, if, if people keep listening, and we'll keep doing it. All right, we'll keep going strong into the future. And then uh, Rockabelly Aldana, she said, blah, 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 a bunch of great stuff. P.S., you guys are hilarious, to which I say, you're welcome. He tried to salute you, but you can't see that. Oh, yeah, salute. Yeah. I did a... We're on radio, bro. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just wanted her to feel what was in my heart. I, I let her know. Yeah, for that to happen, you need to use words. Okay, great. I salute you. <laughs> well, uh, here on the debrief, we are super excited to take your questions every single week. We sure are. And so if you want to submit a question to hear here on the debrief, just send that in at sandalschurch.com slash the debrief, and we will get your questions in front of Pastor Matt. Excellent. So you ready to jump into yes, some sir. Q&A, P-Matt? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we got a couple of questions based on some last episodes. So we're going to do some follow-up here on that. So this one came in from Ryan. Here we go. In an earlier episode, you used the term cult when discussing Jehovah's Witness members, and you cited their use of a different Bible or book as one of the reasons for giving them that label. So the LDS community, or Mormons, uh, refer to themselves as Christians, but they also have a different book and prophets that they follow. So Would you use the same label for Mormons? Yeah, so first off, let's go back to Jehovah Witnesses don't have a separate Bible. What they do is their Watchtower Society in New York City, just on the other side of the bridge, I believe it's in Brooklyn, uh, they have a group of translators that translate um, the Bible into their own translation. So they have the Bible, but they translate it into their own translation. And what they do is they don't publish their, um, I may be incorrect, but the last time I checked, they don't publish their scholars. We don't know where they are. And they don't, they don't open the process up to people who are educated, you know, across a various uh, scope of denominations. And so it's a, it's a really an in-house project. And so they do that because there's, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he's an angel. And so they have to manipulate and massage the scriptures to communicate what they believe. And so, um, so yeah, I use that word. So, and again, let me just say this, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, great people, faithful people, um, work really hard, a lot harder than a lot of us as, at Sandals do mm-hmm. to share God's word and share what we believe. And so we need to be careful that we don't uh, ridicule or put them down or whatever, but we do disagree with them theologically. And Christianity as a whole, this is not just Sandals Church, has not accepted them as a Christian denomination. And the same is true with um, uh, Mormons. And so Mormons are uh, a little more outright in their uh, uh, specific 
uh, rejection of traditional Christianity. I mean, Joseph Smith, uh, when he received his original re- revelation mm-hmm. from the angel Moroni, uh, states that all religions, all, all Christian denominations have gone astray. And so from the very onset, Mormonism has sought to be its own thing. And so in, Jehovah, in, in, in Joseph Smith's eyes, he was trying to reestablish the church. That's why they're the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but in reality, what he did is he created a new religion known as Mormonism. And so ultimately, um, you know, Mormons were very, very uh, exclusive in terms of, you know, they didn't function or operate with other Christians. They're changing that. That's why you don't hear the word Mormon anymore. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing uh, less and less of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and more and more of Jesus. And so Mormons have worked very, very hard at sounding very, very Christian. But the reality is, is once you get beneath the surface, there's very, very different things. And so Mormons are great people. We love our Mormon neighbors. We wish them the best. Um, they're great Americans. They're great uh, philanthropists. They're generous people. They're wonderful people. So we don't want to say anything bad about them at all as people, but we do believe that they would fall into the realm of a cult. And by that, um, they have their own rules. Uh, they have their own teachings. They are not a Christian denomination. And so um, whereas the Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, uh, Mormons believe that he is God, but he's one of many gods. And for as for us as Christians, we believe in one God who exists in three persons. And we don't understand exactly how that works out, but somehow God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three distinct personality and or persons uh, are separate in their personality, but they are not um, separate in their person. And I realize that's really confusing, but that's what, you know, the uh, the Christian scholars for the last about 1600 years have hammered out and that's that's been the Christian testimony. And so um, we don't believe in the Trinity because we want to, but we believe in the Trinity because that's what the Bible communicates, this idea of one God and three persons. And God will explain all of that and we'll figure that all out when he returns. And so, um, you know, we just accept that by faith. And so, um, you know, again, Mormons are great people, but yes, they have their own books. Uh, they have, you know, their own teachings and their own rules. And, and for the most part, they're great people because they believe that they're saved by works. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're trying to earn their salvation, which looks different from what ours looks like, but they're trying to earn it. And so they're working hard to be the very best people they can be. And that's great. The problem is the gospel says, no matter how hard you work, you can never be as good as you need to be. And that's why Jesus Christ died. Um, you know, there's some other distinctions. I believe that Mormons believe that the moment Christ sweat blood, um, that our sins were paid for. We disagree with that. Hmm. Uh, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. And so um, it was his death on the cross um, that we preach. And that's why Paul says we preach him crucified. Uh, and so, you know, we have some some distinctions there. And, um, you know, Mormons have tried to be different. They don't put crosses anywhere. They have a stake. You know, it's like this stick standing out of their things. They, yeah. don't, they don't rally around the cross. And so they have their own reasons for that. But that's just to say that they see themselves, if they're honest and... Uh, they will, they will admit that they are different. Yeah. And so, um, and I think that's a good thing. And so, like I said, we wish them well. Um, you know, they're great neighbors, they're great Americans, great citizens, great people, but we're not saved because of our comparable greatness to each other. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. And so ultimately that's what we're talking about. We're not comparing ourselves to each other, but we're comparing ourselves to Jesus. So 
So really quickly, you talked about the Jehovah's Witness having the separate translation. We have a couple different translations of the Bible that we look to. Right. The, the difference there being yeah, how they're so, formed? Yeah. So the difference is is that their process for translation is an open process. Okay. Um, they bring in scholars from all walks of life, all denominations. They come together. You know, you have people from different opinions that come together to create uh, what they believe is the best. It goes to committee. You know, they wrestle over it and they try to come up with you know, the best translation possible. And what's neat is whatever, uh, just like in our Supreme Court, so our Supreme Court, there's a ruling, uh, you know, I'm going to use this example, forgive me, but mm-hmm. the, the issue of gay marriage, right? Sure. So gay marriage is now the law of the land. I'm not making a statement on whether that's good, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, we believe that marriage is between man and woman, and yeah. that's what the Bible teaches. However, the Supreme Court entered their ruling. And so you had five justices who said that they believe that it's right. You had four dissenting justices. And so the beauty of uh, Christian denominations is, is when there's a translation and there's a disagreement, they will put whatever the five scholars, you know, the, mm-hmm. whatever the, the majority of the vote was, they'll put that translation in. But in the subtext, you know, down below, the minority opinion will be down there and they'll yeah. say, well, we think it could also mean this. And so there's a transparency and an authenticity to the translation. Whereas what the cults tend to do is this is the only translation. Yeah. This is the only way. And so here's why we need to have multiple translations and it's gotten carried away. But the reality is we don't use the King James English. We just don't. We don't talk that way. You know, uh, it's Shakespearean English. And so what happens is, and the reason I don't preach from it is because then what you have to do is you have to translate the English English into a modern language that we can understand. And so what what, uh, translations are trying to do is because all language evolves. It's always changing. It's always developing. you know, it, it, it's it's always morphing. And so we think about just like the word gay. For, for, for most of American history, it meant happy, good time. Yeah. And now that word means a, uh, a a sexual identity, you know, homosexual identity. Right. And so the word is completely changing its meaning. And so same word, but the meaning has changed. So what the translations are trying to do is they're trying to keep up with English as it changes. And I think that's a good thing. And so it's a helpful thing. Yeah, it's gotten out of control. And the other thing, the bottom line is, right, the Bible is the most sold book in the history of the world. So unfortunately, there's money involved. And so translations um, uh, make a lot of money. And so like, uh, you know, my denomination, Baptist, they came out with their own translation, the Broadman-Holman, or no, HCSB or something. Yeah, it's called Hardcore Southern Baptist Translation. (laughs) Uh, No, so it's the Holman Standard Something like that. HSC, anyways, they did that because the Sunday school board has to pay NIV uh, rights for using their translation, and it got very, very expensive, and so it became cheaper. Holman Christian Standard Bible. Holman Christian Standard Bible, or hardcore. Yeah, I like hardcore way better. So uh, they came up with their own translation, so they don't have to pay NIV all those royalties. Boom. Well, take it, NIV. Yeah. Hey, so this next question, I'm very excited. You guys remember from his fantastic review, Undercover Eskimo? Well, he's back with a question. Yes, he has come out from the Eskimo. And he's told us his name is John. Yeah, that's right, dude. So uh, John says that in Luke 13, Jesus tells the parable of the great feast. And that's what you preached on like two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, The book Matthew recounts a very similar parable told by Jesus in Matthew 22, but it ends with one guest not being properly dressed and seemingly thrown into hell because of it. Here's the verse. Uh, But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
what did he mean by all that? Is there a different audience or scenario that, than the parable that we read about in Luke? Yeah, absolutely. And so you need to understand this. So, you know, each gospel author is trying to commu- communicate a specific point. So Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience where Luke is writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience. And so, um, so there's a couple things that work here. So even when I preach my messages, uh, I can preach the same message very differently when I preach to our college and young adults crowd versus maybe how I would preach it to the cultivate, you know, women's crowd versus, sure. you know, talking to pipeline. And that's just within the context of our church. I would completely flip it. My examples, my illustrations, like if I spoke in Idaho. And so as Jesus travels for three years, you know, he's talking about the same principles over and over and over again, right? Because he doesn't just say it's something once and you get it down. He was talking about, um, you know, his agenda and just like a politician, right? A politician travels from state to state and goes yeah, around and we, everybody gets upset. Well, they're saying the same things over and over. And it's like, yeah, but they're saying the same thing to, to different people, people. Yeah. and they're adjusting it. And so Jesus is, is, is sharing the same principle, the same story, but he's adjusting it to the audience uh, in a way that specifically communicates what they need to hear or maybe communicates a specific twist on the end of the story that they need to hear. And so, you know, we need to interpret these stories separately and we need to consider them. Although the story is the same, we need to understand that there's different points here. So in Matthew, you know, it's a very, very confusing thing because this guy gets into the party, which is weird. And then the king shows up and he's improperly dressed. And so um, we have to be really, really careful as we, we unpack that story because you know, pastors will get into, well, you know, typically the history of, you know, parties, the king would provide clothing for people to wear. And, and, and we don't know that. All we know is that he was supposed to be wearing something. He was supposed to be wearing some kind of outfit that was expected to be worn at this party. Mm-hmm. And we know that he knows this because when he says, why don't you have it? He says nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no reply. He doesn't say, I didn't know. He doesn't say, I didn't get it. It didn't come in the mail. Like he has nothing to say because he knows that he has violated the principles by which you can be a part of this party. And so he's thrown out. Uh, what's weird in that verse is Jesus calls him friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the king re- refers to him as friend. So, yeah. so that, that's a little complex there. And so I think it shows God's heart is, look, man, I, I wanted you to mm-hmm. be here. You were invited to be here, but you have chosen for whatever reason to not participate in this party. And you've not chosen to 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 put on the clothing that's been requested. And so we need to understand this. No one is getting into the party that Jesus is throwing unless they are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's our covering. That is the robe that we wear. Revelation talks about the robe that Christ wears is a robe dipped in blood and it's his blood. And and that is how we get into this great banquet, this great feast. Um, You know, ultimately the end of time is this wedding between Christ and his church, this marriage between God and earth, what was always supposed to be, there's this separation between heaven and earth. And all of human history is moving towards this place where we will be one once again, where all brokenness will be healed by God's beauty. But the mechanism by which that happens is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the covering one needs. And so, you know, Matthew is writing to Jews. And so what Jews need to understand is they must be covered as well in the blood of Jesus. And they don't get to choose the wedding attire, the king does. And so God will choose the mechanism by which people are saved. And so, yeah, it's a different story. Um, and you guys are stumping me, Eskimo, uh, with um, you know questions on different gospels. But we just need to understand that that Jesus can tell the same story with a different point in a different gospel. And, that, and he's free to do that, right? He's God. So Yeah, totally. 
Uh, I love that. Okay, so here's another one we have from Mark, and man, this is such a good question. So Luke 14, 30, or yeah, Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Mark wrote in and he said, there are people in our church that have literally given up everything to go on mission for potentially a lifetime. If I'm not willing to do that, should I question my devotion to Jesus? Or is this just a reminder to make sure that Jesus is taking top priority in my life? Well, it's both literal and figurative. So um, we're all called to the same thing. We're all called to abandon everything and to follow Christ. And so we, we dealt with it, you know, the passage, um, I don't remember if it was in uh, 14 or 13, but where Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and brothers for my sake. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to contrast the level of love and devotion that we must have for Jesus in comparison to everything else. And so we can't add Jesus to our life. You know, inviting Jesus into our life is subtracting everything else. And so he, we're, we're going to be a slave to something. Mm-hmm. We're going to be a slave to things, to ourselves, to someone else, or we're going to be a slave to Jesus. We're all going to be slaves. The question is, what are you going to be a slave to? And so we need to be a slave to Jesus, right? Because he's the good master. He calls his friend. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He does all these things. But ultimately, he, he's not in this position where he's going to negotiate with us. And I think that's the principle. And so many Christians are so frustrated because God's not doing what they want him to do. And, and the reason they're frustrated is they, they fail to understand, you know, the, the contract of the gospel, right? Die to self, mm-hmm. die to yourself and come follow me. And so this is something that's repeated over and over again, that's said in multiple different ways. And so what's sad is, is that we see that this is something that missionaries do and we don't see it's something that we should do. And so the reality is, um, my house, my cars, my money, everything that I own is Jesus's. If he asks for it, you know, I give it. So, you know, my wife and I, we tithe the church. When, when missionaries need support, we try to, we try to be a, a financial support to them. When the church needs a building, right? Th- those, are, those are my responsibilities because everything I own is Christ. And so um, I don't pray about whether or not I give. I pray about whether, you know, what is the amount that God is asking me to give? And we try to do that. And so everybody should do that. You know, your job is a resource. I mean, the, the reason you go to work, the reason that you, you know, do so many things that you don't want to do, because a lot of people work jobs that they can't stand. Yeah. The reason you do that is so that you can fund the ministry of your king, mm-hmm. so that you can see souls saved. That's why we do it. I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to work my job so that I can make a bunch of money and retire and go sit on a beach. There are some people that think that's heaven. I think they're going to be very, very disappointed for all of history, <laughs> you know, for all eternity, because they, they, they chose unwisely. Yeah. And, um, you know, think about the pearl, uh, uh, the, the story of the pearl of the great price. You know, once you discover a field with this pearl in it, right, you sell everything that you have to buy that, or excuse me, I'm mixing the stories up. Once you find this pearl, you sell everything to right. go you know. get that pearl. Or if you find a treasure in the field, you sell everything you have so you can get the treasure. And the truth is Jesus is the pearl. Jesus is the treasure. And so we have to abandon everything for him. And so this is the run of the mill, typical calling for all of us. And we all have to ask ourselves this question, you know, have I, have I given up everything? Have I died to self? And Jesus says, right, you're a fool if you don't first count the cost before you build a tower. He says that you have to count the cost before you say yes to Jesus. And so, you know, it's an amazing thing. We don't, we don't earn our salvation, but at the same point, it costs you everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you're giving up is your life to inherit your soul. And I think it's a great exchange. So, you For know. maybe some folks who are listening in who maybe haven't decided to start following Jesus yet, what are some ways that they can look into counting the cost? Right. And so, so there's two different callings that Jesus gives. You know, the first is come and see. 
And so that's why we need to be so, so careful. So I'm, so the come and die, which we're talking about, that's for believers. The come and see is come check me out. You know, come to yeah. me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come and see that I'm good. So that's part of counting the cost, right? Is seeing what is the reward? What is the benefit? What do I get out of this? Well, you get Jesus. You become an heir to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You become a child of God and you inherit everything that he has that he's going to share with you, right? It's a good deal. Mm-hmm. But in order to get all that he has, you must give, give up all that you have. And it's this great exchange. And so the first thing is, is you've got to come and see that the Lord is good. You know, God is saying, you know, I, I, I wanna show you all these things. So, so for the person that's not a Christian, I would say, go slow, take your time, you know, keep praying and, and, and evaluate, is this something that you want to exchange? Is this something that you want to be a part of? I think, you know, uh, coming and dying is a small price to pay for eternal life. I mean, it's like, you know, Justin, you give me $1 and I'm gonna give you a billion. I mean, right, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a ridiculous exchange. And yet people hold on to that dollar so tightly. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna give up this buck. And it's yeah. like, are you kidding me? In comparison to what you're, you're gonna get, the apostle Paul says, you know, he's given up everything. Position, title, finances, reputation, marriage. Uh, he give up everything and he says he considers all things scubalin, and that word is human excrement, you know, or crap. He compares everything in the world to crap in comparison to what he has in Jesus Christ. And so when he evaluated, he's like, of course you can have this poo. Absolutely, because that's what it is in comparison to what Christ Jesus is offering me. And so um, I think the reason that Christians struggle with this is they haven't really evaluated what it is that God's offering. You know, and so, so what's amazing is, you know, the game shows where do you want what's in your hand or behind door number two? What's amazing is God shows us what's behind door number two. Hmm. You know, Psalm 16, nine, pleasures forevermore are at the right hand of God. Eternal pleasure is at God's right hand. Right. He's telling you everything that you want is behind door number two, or you can keep what's in your hand. And what's so sad is, right, the rich young ruler keeps what's in his hand. The Pharisees, they keep their power in their hand. Um, you know, people take their sexuality. Well, this is who I am. And they keep that in their hand and they say no to Jesus. And Paul says, I said no to all those things. Why? Because he found the treasure. He found the pearl of great price. And to him, he's not the fool, we are. And so, so that's what I would say is, is, you know, for those of you who are not a Christian yet, it's really cool you're listening to this. I mean, that's yeah. cool. We have well, Christians well, that we can't even get to listen to this. They're just tuned in for the yeah. sweet jokes. Yeah, so- <laughs> Um, just check Jesus out. So the movie Risen that came out, I didn't like it, um, but I, I would definitely see it. And the thing I like, I liked about the movie Risen is uh, the first portion of the movie is really cool. It's like CSI Jerusalem. Okay. Um, they're trying to you know, find this missing dude named Yeshua. Um, and it's really, really cool. And so the Roman soldiers are trying to, to find him, but then it ends with his resurrection. And the thing I liked about it is they made him so compelling. Mm-hmm. Like everyone says, like why, like, why would you give your life for him? And they're like, well, have you met him? Because once you meet him, you're gonna know. And that whole movie flips because instantly the Roman soldier is willing to give up everything, reputation, salary, safety, everything, just to be with Jesus because he's so compelling. So it's not a great movie. I would give it like a B, mm-hmm. but, but uh, I like how they presented Jesus. Uh, it's a little weird though, because Jesus is uh, one of my favorite characters on the Fear of the Walking Dead. <laughs> so he's, he's the English teacher in the Fear of the Walking Dead and he's the savior of the world in Risen. Totally. So that was hard for me to like connect that. Right. 
One of the things that I would even say to Mark too, when he was, he's asking about like, I'm not, am I, if I'm unwilling to go across the other world, it might not even be the unwillingness or just unability or something like that. And I mean, Stephanie and I had the opportunity to travel and visit India last year. And the whole time I was there, I just felt so drawn to the people. And I literally was like, man, I want to bring my family here and live in the city and be a part of what we're doing. And obviously that's not what I'm doing. Um, and I don't want to toot my own horn here, but like, it's just been tax time. And that's such a great time every year to almost to like really evaluate counting that cost. And it's mm-hmm. so cool because my tax guy, he go, he's a member of Sandals Church. And when he put all the numbers together and showed me like what our charitable contributions this were this year, like he gave me a good old pat on the back. Oh, cool. And it was just a cool reminder that, you know, even though I'm not necessarily physically picking up and going, man, over the last two years, like you can look at my finances in all their glory, everything that the government sees and see that our family is making intentional steps to give up um, the life that we want, you know? Right. And there's two people. And so we talk about this. um, We're going to talk about this, our upcoming uh, missions conference at our church, which I want people to come and hear David Platt speak, which I believe that's open, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Wednesday. Yeah. So April 20th. April 20th. It's next Wednesday, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So they can come and check that out. But, you know, everybody in our church has to decide to be one of two things, a goer. Mm -hmm. So they pick up, sell everything they have and they go, or they stay here and they become a sender. And so every single one of us, and so that's like, you know, um, know, Tammy and I picked up, left Huntington Beach, came to Riverside, planted a church. We left everything there to plant this church here. But now that we're here, you know, we're sending a hundred missionaries to India. Right. So how are we going to do that? Tammy and I take our finances. Um, you know, we, we give to the church first. That needs to be your first priority. Mm-hmm. And so we do that. And then we help send uh, people that are going. So every person needs to pray about, am I a goer? And that, that, that needs to be processed, not just with you, but with people. You know, is it your gift set? Can you learn other languages? Do you have a skill set that we can use over in that country, right? Yeah. That needs to be a community decision. Um, or am I a sender? You know, do we need to, you know, cut our cable bill? get rid of our cell phones, totally. you know, uh, down, download some of our costs so that I can give more money so that people can go. Right. And, and we all need to be a part of that, either going or sending. And the reality is it takes way more senders than goers. Oh yeah, so, totally, totally. And both are important. Awesome. Well, let's jump into uh, Luke chapter 15. And uh, this is kind of a, a shorter chapter and it seems simple on the surface level, but we've got some really great content and questions coming from here. The first one is actually from our new content producer who joined our debrief team this week, Josh. And uh, he asked this in a previous episode, and I actually think it's one or two episodes, Pastor Matt, you've talked about how there comes a point where God has given someone the chance to repent. And if they don't, he'd give up on them. But Luke 15 seems to indicate that God is always willing, waiting, and seeking us. So how can we know if we are too far gone? Well, so what we have to do is we have to balance chapter 15 with chapters 13 and 14. And chapters 13 and 14, Jesus, right? 13, the narrow door, the narrowest door. You know, many will try to enter, but few will. Chapter 14, I sent out the invitation, you rejected. Mm -hmm. You rejected the invitation. Why? Because the time of the banquet was here. So- they reject it. So he says, go out into the streets, find the blind, the lame, the crippled, all those people. There's still more room. Go find the weird guy in the hedge. Remember yeah, that whole story? Yeah, yeah. So go find them. So 13 and 14 are saying, look, you don't have forever. And then 15 really isn't stating that you have forever. It's really stating why why God why God has gone after the, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the people in the hedges on the highways. Why is God turning to the outcasts and 15 really, you know, and I know Claude's perspective this week was we have value. And I thought that was a great message and a great point because so many people don't feel like they have value. Totally. But what 15 really 
is about is not our value, but it's about God's heart. So 15 is why. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God loves us. And he's, yes, we all have value. And again, great message. I thought it was one of Claude's best ever. Totally. It was fantastic. But what it's really demonstrating is God's heart and what it's revealing to them is why they're not getting in heaven. Mm-hmm. Why, why is the door narrow? Because they won't repent. Why aren't they invited to the party? Because they refused the banquet feast. Why, why again, verse 15, because your heart is so far from God's. So not only will you, this is 15, not only will you not come to the party, but you're mad that he's inviting others. Yeah. I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? C.S. Lewis writes this book. And if, I mean, you ever really want to t- get tweaked, read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. It is this bizarre book. So C.S. Lewis, great, great scholar, uh, philosopher, maybe the most brilliant Christian of the last century, ha- has a different take on uh, the end time, or not the end times, but on heaven, because he, he, he believed in a thing called purgatory, and uh-huh. that is the, uh, Chur- the Church of England's official position. And so uh, we as a Sandals Church, we, we don't agree with this purgatory, like this intermediary waiting mm-hmm. place for people to figure out, you know, yes, ultimately or no, ultimately. And so we can get into that at a later point, but the, the whole um, book of the great divorce is these people that are on this, um, this, I can't remember, a train or bus. I think it's a bus. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a bus. And they're, they're in this like, like this bar waiting mm-hmm. this station and they're talking and there's conversations and some people leave the bus uh, and come back and some never come back. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's, it's this journey to, to the gates of heaven. Yeah. And, and in this, the, the story that just creeped me out, it's this, this, this mother and her child and the child going into heaven, leave, leaving everything behind to, to, to choose God. And the mother is demanding that not only, you know, she won't repent, but she's demanding that if her son truly loved her, that he would turn around and go to hell with her. Mm-hmm. And it's this horrible story, but it just shows you the depths of human selfishness mm-hmm. and self-righteousness that this mother, she, she's claiming to love her son, but the truth is if she loved her son, she would want him to go to heaven but the truth is she loves herself and she's demanding that he go to hell with her. And it, she doesn't know that, but it's just, it's just crazy story. And so the reality is these Pharisees are like this selfish, self-centered mother is not only will they not go to the party in heaven, but they don't want you to go. And they don't want Stephanie to go mm-hmm. and they're mad. And you shouldn't get to go because we know party's an idiot and Stephanie, you know, right. Birkenstock's center, right? <laughs> yeah. we, we know that, right? You guys, you guys are unworthy. And if God, if God was who he really says he is, he would never let you in the party. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. God is who he says he is. You just don't know him. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna tell this story about the character of God's heart. And God is seeking that which is lost. And that's why Jesus is there. I'm here to get that which was lost. And so this is where churches get backwards. Why do churches die? Because they forget the heart of God. Yeah. They care only about themselves and they don't care about lost people. And we've, we've heard this at Sandals. People are, oh, the church is too big. Why? They forgot that God is about seeking that which is lost and they become about themselves and they only care about them and they don't care about these new people with messed up lives that are, you know, gonna, you know, are gonna tweak their kids and, and are gonna, you know, mess up their marriages and destroy their small groups. And what's happened is they don't realize how they've shifted far from God. Mm-hmm. And- and Christians do this, right? We get all excited about being found um, and then we forget and we get mad when the church continues to seek that which is lost because Jesus tells the story about, you know, God being the seeker, but ultimately 
as we end the gospel and we go into the book of Acts, Jesus calls us to be the seekers. Yep. So we join in the hunt and we join in the find and looking for that which is lost. Okay, so as he starts off, the very first thing that he does when he's talking about lost stuff is talk about a lost sheep. He does. So in verse four, it says, uh, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Is just is Jesus saying here in this parable that God will, quote, leave those who are following him to seek after those who are lost? Right. And so, you know, we we, we have to remember this is a fake story. Yeah, okay. there, there are no 99 sheep. There is no one. This is a story, <laughs> a fictional story to prove a point. And so, you know, I was sharing with you when we were talking earlier about when you lost your son at Disneyland because yeah. you're a bad father. So we talked about that. <laughs> Listen, I had yeah, two Justin, kids there. Jesus' story, he has 100 sheep and loses one. Justin has two kids at Disneyland and loses 50% of them yeah. 50% in the failing, park. Bro. Yeah. Listen, my wife listens to this podcast. Okay, yeah, guys? so she you should not trust home. you alone. <laughs> so uh, anyways, um, you know this, is that, and every parent knows this, when you have a lost kid, those who are safe and secure become irrelevant. And it's not that, it's not that you don't care about them. It's that, that they're okay. Yes. And so the principle of the story is, is the 99 are fine. So we, we need to not overanalyze the story of, oh, the shepherd left them. No, they're safe. Mm-hmm. They're safe. They're secure. They're not going anywhere. They're yeah. okay. Um, but what happens in this moment is the 99 are irrelevant because one is lost. And every parent knows this. You know, I've heard, I've had parents tell me, you know, this statement is, you will only be as happy as your most unhappy child. Hmm. And, and that's the truth is because as a parent, right, you care about the one kid that's hurting. You care about the one kid that's sick. And it's not that the other ones don't matter. It's that the one that's needy needs your attention. And so the idea here is something's wrong with the sheep because he has to pick it up and bring it back. Something's yeah. gone wrong, mm-hmm. right? You know, the idea is not just that the sheep wandered off because if it did, it would have followed the shepherd back. The sheep needs to be picked up and carried. Yeah, and so something, something. something's wrong here. Something's gone tragically wrong. And um, we need to remember that. And the heart of God is to be compassionate for this sheep. That's really not an illustration about animals at all. It's, it's about people. And so people have been wounded. They're broken. And something is deeply, deeply wrong. And so the shepherd has to go and get them. And that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The shepherd came to us in our brokenness. And he's saying, this is the heart of God. This is why I'm sitting at this table around these sinners. This is why I'm sitting with the tax collector who, yeah, is a traitor. They make the wrong choice. And so, you know, tax collectors 2000 years ago, you know, they were defeated by Rome. Tax collectors chose to be employed by Rome to collect taxes on their behalf. And so they were traitors, you know, your, your, your own brother, your own, your own friend, the guy down the street now is taking your money and yeah. giving it to the evil, awful, horrible Roman empire. And they, they were considered sellouts, the worst of the worst. And then, you know, the other, the sinners is, you know, prostitutes and, you know, people were filthy. And, and, and we all have these categories in our life. Like we all have people in our lives. We're like, oh, well, you know them, stay away from that person. These are the people that Jesus, and this is what's important. In the original Greek language, it makes it clear that this is something that Jesus does habitually. So it's not like this one time Jesus went crazy and hung out with people in Vegas. He is habitually right. hanging out with people in Vegas. Now here's a, here's a caveat because a lot of Christians get stupid, right? And they're the missionary at the drinking party. Okay, listen. Jesus isn't participating in sin with them. He's inviting sinners to participate with him. And so we need to be very, very clear on this because Christians get stupid and they go to participate in sin with sinners. That is not what Jesus is doing. Mm -hmm. The accusation is that he is connecting with them. He's eating with them. 
he's fellowshipping with him. So as Christians, we need to invite sinners into our life to be a part of our life, to be a part of our friendships, to be a part of what we're doing. We don't need to go be a part of what they're doing because then we're just as lost as they are. Right. So we need to be very, very careful with that illustration. Yeah, man. And Jesus is clearly like living such a compelling life that, yeah. like, that the sinners are saying, yes, of course, I would want to come be a part of that. Okay, so verse seven is actually kind of hits on a very similar topic of what we're talking about right now. Um, Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And Claude, when he was preaching this weekend, he said that Jesus was, what he was doing here is being sarcastic to try and essentially make the same point that you're making to the Pharisees. Right. Yeah. And Claude hit it out of the park here. Look, man, no one's righteous. No one. Uh, And if you believe your own press, that means you, 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 you're a son of hell or a daughter of hell. I mean, you to know God is to know yourself, to know your heart and to see what's inside you. And the truth is every single one of us at the core of our being has a desperately wicked heart. Um, you know, and there are philosophies in the world that start from this principle. Human beings are inherently good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, you know, human beings are inherently bad. And if you don't believe me, have children, right? <laughs> have multiples, you know, and they'll, you know, uh, They'll get lost at yeah, Disneyland well, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they'll try to hurt each other. Well, uh, yeah, but thank you for trying to make yourself feel better for losing your kid. So yeah, Blame your kid for that. Yeah, saying. blame your kid for not being where they're supposed to be. Um, Listen, I was in a candy shop, okay? There was a lot going on oh, in my situation. Oh, yes. I guess that didn't, I thought that was going to help me make no, me feel there. No, we all know your idolatry. We yeah, understand it. Food. Okay, so now you made me get lost. I apologize. So no, none of these guys are righteous. Absolutely none of them. That's why they're not going to the party. But, you know, right, they're going to be thrown out. The door is narrow. They're not getting in. Everything that he said, he's mocking them. The 99, the only reason the 99 are safe, according to the gospel, is if they've repented of their sins, uh, is if they've been found. And so what he's trying to say is, look, man, God is not celebrating your righteousness. Mm -hmm. What God celebrates is your repentance. Mm -hmm. You need to repent. You know, you, you, you need to get right with God. And this issue is so important. And we'll get to it when we talk about the prodigal son. The word repent or repented is used in the book of Luke and Acts. I, I'm going to say 25 times. I'm close. Okay. Uh, let's say 14 times as a verb, 11 times as a noun. So it's either you need to repent or you have repented. So it's yeah. an action. And so for Luke, the gospel is, a person who repents of their sins and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a person who asks God to forgive them over their sins. You would only do that if you believe that you're a sinner. And so, um, right, you only need a savior if you need to be saved. And so for him, this is just key, 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 key. So what is all of heaven waiting to celebrate? Everybody repenting, right? everybody being found, everybody seeing the light. And so Jesus is saying, look, you guys have missed the point. You've missed God's heart. God's heart wants to see sinners repent. He wants to see people saved. And the truth is, right, Pharisees got convicted by John the Baptist's message. Some of them were baptized. Pharisees even got convicted by Jesus' message. Just the vast majority of them rejected it. Mm -hmm. But most people who heard Jesus talk, man, they repented. They knew, right? Peter, when he calls Peter, Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. When Peter interacts with Jesus, he instantly knows okay, there's something deeply, deeply wrong with who I am. And you've got to be kidding that you're asking me to be like your captain because I'm the biggest idiot on earth. What does the apostle Paul say? Here's a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. 
So everybody who ever changed the world, everybody who became a great person understood how great they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so key here. And what's so sad is, you know, once you start believing your own press, you start believing that you're awesome, that's when you're truly lost. Man, when you look at chapters 13, 14, and 15, it just sounds like Jesus so desperately wants these religious guys to get that truth. Yeah, absolutely. And he cries over Jerusalem. Yeah. And he weeps over Jerusalem, right? Because Jerusalem kills all the prophets. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, how often I've wanted to hold you in my arms, but I can't because you've always killed the prophets. You always will. And you will kill me there. Hmm. Right? The, the most holy city on earth is the most evil city on earth. Hmm. You know, and if you'll experience that today, if you go with me to Jerusalem, it's a beautiful place and it is an awful, ugly place. Um, murder and anger and rage and just, it's this conglomeration of such a multitude of feelings, right? It's supposed to be the center of peace and it's the most violent place right. on earth. And, and probably, you know, in the end, we'll start World War Three or Four or whatever the final war is, the final yeah. one. Yeah, It will start there, so. Well, we have uh, one last question from, and it's about actually kind of the these religious leaders, the Pharisees. And this question comes from our friend John Brown's group. Now, this comes from his whole group, and their group is called Brown Town, which I think is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if if your community group has like a sweet nickname or a a, a title gang, it's going to be hard to beat Brown Town. I'm exactly, a little Brown Town. Yeah. If you guys have a sweet name, here's what you do: just let us know. <laughs> I don't know. Don't tell us. Sounds awesome, and we'll get like yeah. first order of business at community group this week. Is yeah, appropriate. Be group oh yeah, yeah. So go, go to your community group this week before you like start asking all the questions about real self God and others. Come up with a sweet name for your group, and then write in and let us know what it is so that we can celebrate your sweet group, and then go out and care about lost people. Okay, last I'm question. Go ahead and share Brown Town's question. Yes. Um, so in verses twenty and thirty-two. Brown Town. Okay, you're nice. not on the worship team for a reason. You don't want no beef, boy. It's true. Come on. Yes. All right. Uh, in verses 20 and 32, it says, The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father said to him, Your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So was the older son saved or was he a representative of the Pharisees who were not? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, we, we need to back up. So the story mm-hmm. of the prodigal son, I'm, I'm guessing everybody listening to the podcast, listening to the message this week. If not, you know, you need to read Luke 15, hear the story. It's great. So, um you know, so Jesus tells a parable of two sons. The first son demands his inheritance, um, which in the Old Testament, I think it's like uh, Deuteronomy twenty one seventeen, um, where it, it shows that the inheritance of the oldest son is two thirds and the second son is one third. I think that's the right verse. So the younger son demands his inheritance. So he gets a third of it, basically saying, dad, you're dead, goes off, wastes all of his money and, and living and, um, you know, comes back. And, and, and so we'll talk about repentance in a second, but he comes back, you know, he says, look, I, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my father. I need to go back because I would rather be a hired. I was right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, whew, thank you. Bible trivia. That was um, I'm going to buy you a cookie after this. Dude, I was stretching <laughs> for that one. Yeah. That was, that was definitely on the perimeter of my theological scope. That was, I was like, uh, Deuteronomy is on the perimeter of most of our theological yeah, yeah. scope. So you're <laughs> well beyond. Yeah. Maybe I should have notes. That'd be good. Um, so, um, so, so he tells this whole story about the son who repents and comes back. But the whole point of the message of Luke 15 really isn't the prodigal son, which is typically what we preach on. The whole point of Luke 15 is the, the son 
who's not happy that the younger brother is repented. Right, exactly. He's not celebrating. And so let me um, say what I'm going to say, and then you can remind me of the question again, because we've kind of gone on this little journey. Um, you know, the, the, what's amazing is, is where's the father? The father is waiting for the son. So he's off waiting for the son. Waiting for the younger son. For the, for the younger son to come home. What's amazing is the, the older son is not with the father. And so the assumption of the crowd who's critical of Jesus is that they're right with God. And what Jesus is trying to demonstrate is that they're far from God. And so, so in the story, right, the father sees the son. Um, he puts the celebratory robe on the son. So it's, it's, not, it's not the robe that he left. It's a better one than he ever wore. And that's what's crazy. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? This, this robe is, is reserved for dignitaries, yeah. for kings and lords and people who, who come and are to be celebrated. And here's the son who, who deserves a beating for what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? The law says, you know, Mosaic law says that you could take this kid to the local elders and they could kill him because mm-hmm. he has shamed the family. He's embarrassed the family. This son could be disciplined severely, if not killed for his sin. And what is God, what does Jesus teach us that the heart of God is? Because he's repentant and that's the key. Everything hangs on this one thing. So, so the prodigal son is a picture in a story of what repentance looks like. I have sinned mm-hmm. against God and against my father. And every single one of us has done this. We have sinned against God and the people that we love. I have sinned against God and my wife, God and my kids, God and my parents, God and my small group, God and my church. Like my sin has affected every relationship that I have. I will go back and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. He's counting the cost. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. But what's he got to lose? He has nothing. He's, he's going to eat you know, the, the garbage that's being fed to pigs. And for the Jewish audience, right? That's the worst, most embarrassing. It's the lowest of the lows. And what he's saying is, man, even if I have to be a slave for my dad, it's better than what I am now. And yeah. that's the gospel. Even if I have to be a slave of God, it's better than being the wealthiest person on earth mm-hmm. because God is going to treat me infinitely better. And it's the exchange, counting the cost. He counts the cost. He repents of his sin. And what's amazing, and I love this, is he goes back to his father, right? And he tries to recite this whole spiel. Father, I've sent, right? He's got this whole pre-planned prayer of repentance. And the father's just like, stop. Because he knows. Mm -hmm. He knows. And he puts this robe on his son. Here's what's bizarre. He puts the signet ring on his finger, a a ring of authority, um, signifying He's an heir to all that is. It's bizarre. He's squandered. He's wasted everything that he's been given, just like you do, mm-hmm. just like we do, mm-hmm. right? We've wasted our talents. Yeah. And God's like, no, no, no. You're still a child. You're still an heir. You still inherit. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. And then he puts sandals on his feet because he's not a slave, but he's a son. Mm-hmm. And so are we. We're not slaves. I mean, we are, but we're, sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's what's bizarre. Christ Jesus is not only my savior, but he's my brother. What? Right, wow. He's my brother. Mm -hmm. I am a child of God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus makes room with his glory and his authority for me alongside him. It's it's amazing. It is is the greatest exchange ever. And what's so sad is instead of being moved by the gracious act of God, 
the self-righteous person who's never repented is judging the father. And what does the father say? He says, everything I've had is always yours. It's always been for you. But your brother who was dead is alive. He was lost, but he's found. Mm -hmm. So let's celebrate. And the story ends with what? Cliffhanger. No, it's not. Because ultimately the audience rejects Jesus. Oh, got it. They are are the unrepentant, self-righteous, older brother Mm -hmm. and they're mad they're mad and you know jesus tells another story about you know the parable of um the vineyard owner who hires people early in the morning and they Mm -hmm. work all day and then he hires some the last hour of the day and he pays them all the same Mm -hmm. and the people who worked all day under contract are mad because they thought they would get double or triple but they didn't and and what he says is didn't you sign up for what I told you I would pay, then why do you care how generous I am? And what's amazing is unrepentant, self-righteous people are mad that others receive grace mm-hmm. because they, ha- they haven't received it. It's, 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 it's tr- it, this is tragic. I mean, here's the reality is Jesus is not preaching the prodigal son to reach the sinners who are with him at the table. He's trying to reach the self-righteous who are gonna yeah. go to hell. Yep. And it's so sad. It's so tragically, tragically sad because, right, the door is narrow because the only way through it is repentance. So here, here's the gospel according to Luke. Repent, believe, be baptized. Repent, believe, be baptized. So be sorry for your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ can pay the penalty for your sins and be baptized. And so it's this formula of, of, of turning from sin and turning to God denying your life and identifying with the life of Christ, which is his church. It's this beautiful, beautiful formula. And baptism, right, is this picture of your own burial. You're dying to self. You're being put down in the tomb with Christ. It's this beautiful picture. And you're being pulled out, raised to this new life, right? The prodigal son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so we kind of, do we have more questions or was that? This is Okay, I got one more, but... I don't think I covered their question because you asked me specifically what you said. Was, was the older son saved is the question. Or is he representative yeah, or is he of Pharisees? Pharisees? Yeah, I think, think he's represent, representative of an unrepentant Pharisee. And so what, here's what's sad is, and I don't know that everybody would agree with me on this, but um, I think he's lost and he's going to hell. And what's sad is everything God ever had was for him. Mm. He's the oldest brother. He's the firstborn. He's the one that God loved. He's the seed of Abraham. All that I have is for you. But what? How, how do you get into the party? Repentance. Repentance. And so um, I, I think that's, it's absolutely important. And for Luke, everyone's a sinner. Luke is going to make that clear. We all need to be saved. Every single one of us. Um, and, we, and we come at those conclusions at different times in our life. And, you know, here's the beauty. You know, the thief on the cross, right? He, he, he gets it right at the end and, and there's hope for us, but um, we all have to repent of our sins. You have to be, you know, the word is metaneo. There's this complete changing of one's mind, the way that you think about something. Um, you know, for example, you know, you talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, we, we talked about pornography a little bit. I used to really, mm-hmm. really struggle with that. Um, you know, starting in like junior high, 
you know, all the way through college and I wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And the problem was the way I looked at it needed to change. So people that struggle with pornography, they see it as something good. And what needed to happen in my life is I needed to see it as something evil and sad. Mm-hmm. And so once that change of, of my mind flipped, I no longer had the temptation to do it because I truly believed that it was something different. And so that's what needs to happen is, you know, sin needs to look differently in your perspective. It needs to lose its appeal and its grip and its hold because you've seen the light. So and that, that, that's where I want to tell the story. So like, so we talked about the sheep, we talked about the sons, but we didn't talk about the woman. And her coin. So it's, but what does she do to find the coin? She lights a lamp in the house because a house in the ancient world, most houses had no windows. What does that mean? It's dark. Mm. So the only way to find it is with light. And so who's the light? It's Christ. And it, it's just such a beautiful thing. And that light bulb, when it turns on in your life, and this is my prayer for everybody, is that, is that the light of Christ, it's not an internal light, right? That's self-help crap. Yeah. It's not an internal light. It's an external light. Jesus is the light of the world and he needs to shine on you. And that's gonna reveal two things to you. Number one, that you're a sinner. But number two, that you are a valued sinner and God wants to save you. And so there's two things that need to happen. You know, in, in Metaneo, in repentance teaches you two things. One, that you're broken, but two, that you are beautiful and worthy of repair because God bought you. He has redeemed you with the most expensive purchase in the history of the universe, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I think about, I was thinking as I was listening to Claude's message, you know, there are things that I want in this life. You know, um, maybe I want a new house and, oh, I love this house, but then I find out how much it costs. I don't want it that much, right? Um, and mm-hmm. there's things like that in, in all of our lives. There are things that we really, really want, but once we understand the cost, we're like, no, I can't imagine anything in this world where I would say, yeah, I would kill Ethan for that. Hmm. I mean, li- literally all, all that is in the world and everything the world has to offer. Like people, people say, oh, we're gonna give you everything. It's gonna be King Matt, hmm. but you have to give up your son for that, right? I, something is deeply wrong with me. To do that. But what's amazing is that's exactly what God did for me. Hmm. He gave up his only son for me. And so what that tells me is I have this incredible value that I I can't even understand my own worth. Like we we, we always talk about that, like rich people, like, right? Oh, he's worth, Donald Trump's worth $1.6 billion. What are we saying? His value is this. You know, Justin, we can't even comprehend your value because it's not, it can't be quantified monetarily. It's priceless, right? And so, like um, uh, the uh, uh, the Smithsonian in DC has um, some artifacts, and 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 what and what the D, and what they'll do in the Smithsonian is when they bring in artifacts, they'll put values on it. So, like the Hope Diamond, mm-hmm. or whatever, and they'll say it's worth you know eight million dollars or a billion dollars or this. And what's amazing is they they brought in uh, the earliest uh, manuscripts of the Bible the oldest that we have. Some of them date all the way back to like, you know, a hundred years AD. So mm-hmm. 70, 80 years after the death of Christ. Think about how old those right. manuscripts are, right? And so what they do for insurance purposes is they have to put a price on them. And when they brought in these scriptures, they're priceless. Mm-hmm. All the money in the world is not worth these because there's only this one. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that's the way Jesus is. All that is in the universe, everything that you can't put a price on it because it is God's one and only son. And, and again, we talked about Mormons at the beginning. That's where we differ with Mormons. Jesus is one of many of God's sons, which to me slights the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the one, the only, there is no other. And this is why it's so important, right? So for Jehovah's Witnesses, he's a created being. Well, if he's created, God can make another one. Mm-hmm. He's not created. He is the one and only begotten son of God. It's just him. God has no other son and never will. And he gave that up for us. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. And so every person that's depressed, discouraged, they feel like they don't matter. They feel unloved. They feel unseen. God sees you. God is seeking you. And God wants to purchase you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is, I just hope that everybody can just like literally be in tears as they think about their value from God's perspective, not from the world's, you know, but man, it's just really incredible. You were going to ask something else. Like, No, this is good stuff. Right. So we, um, that's all of our questions for today. So I just want to thank everyone who's sending questions. This is obviously like a really awesome conversation. I think we're both still sitting here kind of mm-hmm. soaking it in right yeah. now. Um, and thank so, you, Claude. Sorry to cut you off. Thank you, Claude, for a great message this weekend. Oh, totally. Yeah. If you want to check out Claude Hickman's message from this weekend, head to sandalschurch.com slash watch, and you can see his sermon and all the great stuff that Matt has been talking about. And if you would like to submit questions here on the debrief, maybe out of that message, or as you look at this chapter a little bit more, just head to sandalschurch.com slash the debrief. You can submit a question right there. Yeah, there's a big red button that says, ask a question. Hey, we are thinking about making a quick change. And if you've listened this far into the debrief, this may affect you. We're thinking about changing when we publish the debrief uh, from Tuesday evenings to first thing Wednesday mornings so that we can make uh, uh, some improvements and some the podcast even slightly more awesome. Here's the deal. If you listen to the podcast every single Tuesday, right when it comes out and it would totally crush your vibe, ruin your week, whatever. If we started publishing Wednesday mornings instead of Tuesday afternoons, you send me an email, let me know, make sure that it's like this, like your favorite show about to get canceled. Uh, by the networks. So you write in, uh, send me an email, prd at sandalsearch.com. If enough of you guys say it makes a huge deal to you, we'll keep it on Tuesdays. But if uh, you're willing to let us publish on Wednesday mornings to make it slightly better. We will then, offer you some great benefits. Exactly. Then uh, totally cool. If you're if you're willing, just chill out. Don't no need, to, no need to do anything. All right, Pastor Matt, it is time to close this week's debrief with your thoughts on an inspirational quote. You, you got a sweet one for us, Steph? Oh, I sure do. Uh, This week's inspirational quote, all's well that ends well. I like that. My thoughts on it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's pause. Everyone reflect. All Mm -hmm. is well that ends well. I don't even know that I fully understand what that means. I don't either. Like, like, (laughs) cool, it's over. That's good. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, or is it like, oh, anything that turns out well was good all along? Is it like, well, what I don't like about that is it kind of absolves you of your stupidity throughout the process. So Mm. if you survive in the end, was it still okay? You know, no. You know, Justin lost his kid at Disneyland and that needs to not happen again. Yeah, so that was not well. But but, but it is well well. because it ended well. Yeah. But Boaz was traumatized. True. And I too. By Kylo Ren because of you. I too was traumatized by that candy shop and I might not ever go And your wife is traumatized right now as she listens to this Mm -hmm. podcast. And I would suggest that you get real with her. Yeah. I did tell her most of the important details of that story. So that's how it goes. I used to tell my kids when I watched them, there's two rules. You can't disappear on my watch or die. You can only do that when your mother's watching you. I think that's wise. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. 
you would be. Yeah, moms are serious. Dude. Oh, dude, yeah. Serious. <laughs> Don't die while I'm watching you. Yep. Uh, and let that be advice to you guys, our mm-hmm. friendly listeners. Don't don't die this week. So let me say this: next week, uh, read up, study up. Uh, so mm-hmm. Luke sixteen is crazy. So um, we're gonna have that there. It's gonna blow your mind. So there's there's, <laughs> yeah. So just read it, try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the parable of the shrewd manager is brutal to try to interpret. So put on your theological caps and act now and send your questions in. Yes. So see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye guys. Love Bye. You. Smooth.